G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. How are you doing today? Good, thanks, Rowan. Good to join you again. Good to join you as always. And I'm especially excited to talk to you about today's episode because it's one of my favourite topics, as you well know. And we've called today's episode The Hopefulness of the Hero's Journey. So, Dad, as we flagged at the end of the last podcast that we'd be speaking about this today, but it's something that's become even a little bit more relevant in the last couple of weeks, hasn't it, with the release of the report into mental health services in Victoria. So it's interesting as we were having a bit of a talk off air how much of today's episode is going to relate to some of that stuff. But do you want to just give us a bit of a brief rundown to start? What are we going to be talking about today with the hero's journey? Okay, now it's a way of understanding mental health problems. And so often when we think of mental health problems, there's so much emphasis in the past on if people have problems with depression, it's because they've got some kind of genetic difficulty that leads to a biochemical imbalance. They're going to need medication at times told for the rest of their lives, you know, people being told that they might need to take medication for the rest of their lives. And that's what we call a medical model. It's taking the idea of diagnosing a particular problem, looking at the biological aspects that might contribute to it, treating it that way. But I think there's such a downside of applying that way of looking at things to mental health problems. And so with the review of services in in Victoria, some of the things that people are saying is that there's too much emphasis on medication for mental health problems. When people are struggling, they might turn up to emergency departments, so hospital departments that are more geared for medical emergencies, if you like, rather than mental health problems as such. They're not very calming places for people to be able to settle and manage with with things. So there's a problem, I think, not just in the resourcing of mental health, but how we look at it. An alternative way of looking at mental health problems is to consider that different things are going to happen at times where people are going to feel overwhelmed, they're going to feel like they're coming apart. And when people are feeling like they're coming apart in themselves, that's very distressing for many people. They feel something's going so wrong. It's not just that they're dealing with panic attacks or depression, but it's also their reaction to feeling like they're coming apart. Well, there's something about coming apart or things look like they're going terribly wrong, which is part of life that we call the hero's journey. Most great movies or literature or any stories that have great adventure or challenge in them, usually there's a stage in the middle of the story where the hero is really struggling. The person is really struggling to manage with the odds that they feel are really stacked against them. And the uplifting part of the story is how people come through that and find extra resources in themselves. Well, I think that's how it is with many mental health problems. Many people that we see in a therapy context come in feeling like they're coming apart massively distressed about what they're experiencing. But over a period of time, as people have more understanding and they're supported in that, then often people can step back and come to look at the challenges that they're having in a different way and, again, develop some other kind of resources or ways of helping manage with those kind of difficulties. And people often get back to being their usual selves in the long run having gained something in the process. That's a very different notion to how we usually get taught and told about mental health problems or mental illness. 
when we talk about mental health, often people are talking about mental illness. And so, yes, we thought this episode, it's really worth expanding on this theme of the hero's journey as another more optimistic way of thinking of dealing with mental health problems. And it's something as well that I imagine it's where a lot of the stigma for mental health problems comes from in the first place. If we have the perception that someone is inherently flawed and they're only able to be fixed with some external solution, well, it leads us to inherently think less of them and their ability to get out of the situation that they're in. And I think the other thing as well that it highlights to me is that it gives us the opportunity to not only seek people who've been in a position similar to what we're feeling and and feel like they can offer us solutions, but it also allows us to feel that we have something to offer other people as well in terms of having gone through a hero's journey in some sort of a way, we can be a bit of a guide to other people who might find themselves in a similar situation. I think that's a very important theme. And when we look at the statistics, it's often mentioned that one in five people are going to have a significant mental health problem in any particular year. And now the next year, it might be a different one in five as well. There are going to be other people. Now, it's not as if everybody ends up completely disabled by mental health problems. If you looked at the statistics, if it, if it was 20% of the population and not the same 20% one year to the next, would expect that... Well, the vast majority of people eventually are going to be a wreck. But that's not what happens. So in other words, there's life experience that leads people to go through trauma, go through grief, go through loss, go through feeling overwhelmed, go through various crises. It's natural that we're going to have a reaction to that and maybe feel overwhelmed for a period of time. But then that can be really worthwhile understanding and learning about life. That's part of life experience. A lot of how we develop resilience is through going through difficult times and coming through that. And I see that one of the recommendations of the mental health report, of the review, is that there should be more drawing on people with lived experience to help those who are having current mental health problems. And the other thing is that there should be more connection and drawing on the support and involvement of family members. Presumably, many also will have faced different challenges in life. And draw on that kind of support rather than keep someone separate as an individual with these problems that need to be treated by specialists as though it's a kind of disease that they're dealing with. And one last thing I'll just add before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, Dad, is I think it's important to note as well that the other thing that the hero's journey does when looking at mental health is that the way that we look at mental health is not necessarily just about reducing symptoms. It's not necessarily to stop someone feeling down or or feeling anxious at that particular time, but it's also to let them know that there is something on the other side that if they go through this experience, there's actually going to be something there for them that they're going to gain in the process that they wouldn't have had in the first place. Yes, and I think that's many people's experience of coming through mental health problems and, and just, say, mentioning something like trauma. Two-thirds of people are going to recover or respond to severe traumatic events as recovering pretty well from that. There'll be others who can really benefit from extra therapy assistance and other kinds of assistance to come through when they're feeling stuck. So we have treatments for PTSD and the like. But many people are going to get through challenging experiences quite well, sometimes drawing on other supports, other people that they know, and it can be that therapy is part of that. But look, I do want to also acknowledge there are some conditions 
which have an extra level of challenge or severity to them. And that would include schizophrenia, which might apply to about 1% of the population. Then there'll be bipolar disorder as well, 1% to 2% of the population. They're going to be people who are dealing with biological aspects, which is like the equivalent of some kind of mental disease. The notion of a severe illness model might be relevant. But then in the vast majority of situations like that, when people do have helpful medication, which there are medications that can greatly help for some conditions like that, and have the social supports that go with it, and other kind of guidance perhaps, then many of those people will end up dealing with everyday living problems as well, which becomes part of the hero's journey, so to speak, where there are challenges but that you can come through in different ways. So we're not trying to play down the fact that a number of people do need significant psychiatric services and medication might be an important part of that, especially for conditions like psychosis and certain forms of severe depression. We're not trying to play that down. But when people are getting that kind of appropriate treatment, we don't have to medicalise the rest of their difficulties, if you like. Fair enough to acknowledge that people will often be dealing with anxiety or depressive symptoms as aspects of distress, anger, grief, other kind of reactions as well. But let's look at how this overlaps with life generally. It comes up in literature, it comes up in history, and we can draw on the supports and other people's learning about this and not just pathologize it all the way through well it's something that we'll unpack a little bit over the course of today's podcast as well because it is something that i'm interested to get into a little bit more with you in terms of how the hero's journey does relate to therapy but just to start it's obviously something that appears quite a bit in terms of we see it as you said in literature we see it in movies it comes up a little bit but do you want to give us a little bit of a brief overview what is the hero's journey exactly Okay, now I think that the central part of the hero's journey, the coming apart aspect, is facing a major challenge that in a hero's journey might be seen as an initiation. It might be through some kind of adventure. It might be through someone having to fight off wild animals. It might be from someone uh, looking for treasure. It might be from someone facing a seemingly insurmountable challenge. And commonly when people are in that situation, it'll seem like the odds are stacked against them and the person, the hero, might then go through what we call a dark night of the soul. Now, a dark night of the soul is a central part of all sorts of stories, like how many movies or how much great literature would there be without this major challenge? And you don't know if the person's going to come through it okay. You want to have that degree of, if you like, tension or uncertainty for it to be a great story. But the dark night of the soul is only one part of the whole hero's journey. Other stages are when something leads the hero to go off on the adventure in the first place, which can be a call to adventure, or it can be from some major challenge or crisis that leads someone to have to leave their home. It might be going off to war or something like that. Then there's the major challenge and the dark night of the soul. But then there tends to be some kind of initiation or fight or adventure or it's the challenge, the core challenge the person needs to look to find a way through or rise above. And then typically what happens in the hero's journey, the hero finds some way of getting through that. They find some way of 
fighting and slaying the dragon or finding the treasure or discovering the distant land or returning from war. And so a core part of what we celebrate in what's heroic is acknowledging the challenge that happened in the first place and the uncertainty of whether the hero would get through. And then the final stage is when the hero returns home. And the hero returns home with the boon, which might be treasure or knowledge or in wartime, it might be returning as a victor. If we look at these mythical themes, then it'll often be some kind of success or at least getting through a major challenge. Not always the victor seeming like everything's gone swimmingly well, like a lot of people might forget the fact that in Rocky, the movie Rocky won, you ask what happened in the end, people say Rocky won the fight. Well, actually not. Rocky lost the fight in Rocky won. Yet we still see Rocky as a hero for the courage that he found in himself, the relationship that he had with his coach and mentor, uh, the relationship that he developed. So they're different kind of heroic elements that can come in without necessarily just being a winner, so to speak. Well, Rocky is such a good example because it shows us that it's not necessarily the outcome that we set out for that we can gain something from in the end in terms of we don't necessarily just need to achieve the outcome and, and get the winnings that we set out for in the first place to quote-unquote be a winner. But it's something that I find so fascinating, this idea of the hero's journey, because in some ways, we don't have to get too deep into this, but in some ways I think it's where philosophy meets science. Because as you're saying, it's such a central theme in life in terms of a good conversation is made up of a hero's journey. In terms of you go through that period of almost chaos where you're not necessarily agreeing with the other person, but then you come through it to find that sort of point of agreeance at the end. And it's something that we see in science all the time in terms of that idea of order, chaos, transformation, new order. It's something that music alludes to a lot as well. But I think it might just be interesting as well to have a bit of a chat about where else the hero's journey relates to in life because it is something that comes up so much in everyday life. Yes, well, I think one of the classic examples of stages of change because a hero's journey is partly about challenge. It is to do with chaos versus order, but in certain stages. And I think of the four seasons of the year. Summer, autumn, winter, spring. Summer, things are going along in a certain kind of way, can celebrate being outside, there's light and warmth. Then something tips the balance. We go into autumn, or is it sometimes known fall? And then there's winter, which we could look at as the dark night of the soul. Trees have lost their leaves. We might associate it with more grey kind of weather. It might seem less vital or lifelike. Now, mind you, many wonderful things can happen in winter. People can love even drizzly days and sitting by a fire and the exercise they might still have outside with that, but a cosy kind of feeling, more time indoors can be cosy. But still, there's that sense of winter being almost like the dark night of the soul. And then there's spring. Things come back to life, almost miraculously. Things come back to life and then that consolidates through the summer. So it's acknowledging cycles and there I'd say winter is like the dark night of the soul. But that also follows a classic pattern that comes up in creativity, what we would call the creative cycle. So someone is looking to do a painting or make a statue or build something. 
Now, it might start off with a creative spark and an idea, but then often people are going to face a real challenge. How are they going to solve this problem? What are they going to create? How are they going to make this like they want it to be? And at that second stage, like the dark night of the soul, I think da Vinci used the term see fumo, like I'm on fire, like his head's on fire, trying to figure out how he's going to make this work out. And then there's some kind of aha experience. And then being able to complete the painting, go on and do it or, or complete the project. And I think Michael Lunig, the cartoonist, has a wonderful way of describing this. He talks about doing cartoons, even though he's had more than 40, nearly 50 years of experience doing cartoons, he'd go through the same process. He said, he'd start off, there's the blank page, it's like mess, not sure what to do. Then he said, it's like loss. Oh, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. Uh, how can I come up with cartoons? Even though he's been doing it for decades and decades very successfully. This stage of loss. And then, as he said, an epiphany. The spark of the cartoon comes to him. Then he's drawing it. The idea comes across and then there's joy. Mess, loss, epiphany and joy. I think that's a wonderful way of describing the four stages. Well, I like that from Michael Lunig, particularly with the last bit being joy, because it does highlight, I suppose, what it leads to if we can get through this process. And I suppose one way that I almost think of it is it's a little bit like cleaning your room in some ways, in terms of we know when we've got a little bit of a messy room, it almost has to get a little bit dirtier before it can get messy. We have to pull everything out to the middle before we can sort of assort it and stack it away exactly where it needs to go so it's interesting I think how much we seem to pick up on this sort of stuff you quite often hear that saying the night's always darkest before the dawn and I think that seems to relate there and and I think that's also why this relates so much to the process of mental health as well yes and actually yes the night is darkest before the dawn that's a great example of this theme and to be a little bit scientific around it, but I think this is a wonderful kind of understanding to draw on. If we look at a scientific way of describing this principle, it comes back to this fellow Prigogine, who won the 1977 Nobel Prize for Chemistry with this theory called the Theory of Dissipative Structures. Sounds fancy, but what it meant, this dissipative structures idea is to do with transformation of substance that takes up certain energy in certain ways, basically like crystal formation. Apparently in forming crystals, like there'd be this stage where there's this coming apart where the material's in some kind of solution, it looks like just a mess and all the rest of it, and then crystals form. And they form in these wonderful characteristic shapes. It's like, a, it's like something miraculous in a certain kind of way. But basically, looking at this theory of dissipative structures, it was talking about how any living system basically has to have some kind of coming apart to enable things to get back together in a new way. And I've described that much over the years with clients I've seen with depression. People have been going through suicidal feelings or maybe attempts or people have absolutely been at their lowest and talk about this coming apart and sometimes the coming apart needs to happen for people to get things together in a new way. And I, I show this in a characteristic way, showing my fingers interlocked. And if you think if you're going to shift your fingers 
you know, from one configuration to another. You actually have to take your hands apart, separate your fingers to be able to interlock them in a different way, in a new way. Now, in other words, you need the coming apart to be able to put things together in a new way. And I'll give one example of how that was so powerful. That story, a particular client I was seeing, he knew a lot about concrete. He was an expert in the formation of concrete. And he explained to me, hey, that theory, it works like concrete. You put all these elements together to make concrete and you apply super high temperatures. And before it becomes hard in its usual form that we think of it as hard concrete, there's a stage under great temperatures where it goes really gooey. There's this gooey stage. And he realised the stage at which he'd been feeling suicidal was this gooey stage with things coming apart where it looked like never things could get together in any solid form again. But this stage is necessary to form something with the hardness, the substance, the solidity of concrete. And having that image in mind, that helped him bear with the confusion, the uncertainty, the distress. He realised he was going through the gooey stage He needed to hang in there and if people hang in there and don't just try and cling back to where things were, if people have the patience to tolerate that coming apart, it's almost inevitable that things will get together in a new way with something added from what was on before, some higher level order from what was before and we've talked about it before like a traffic system. A traffic system builds up, so much traffic comes apart, you've got to add something new, like a ring road. It's only because it was getting stuck that people thought to come up with the innovation of a ring road or a tunnel. All that was there before is still there, but there's something new added. And that's like people's personality functioning coming through a depression. Typically, if people see it like the hero's journey and they draw on supports and new learning in different ways and trying out different ways of dealing with challenging problems, often people bring something new to the situation that helps transform it. And there's something about that which is uplifting and even more uplifting when people do get back to being their usual selves after having done it so hard beforehand. It counts all the more and it adds to people's sense of resilience. Well, that's something that I really resonate with. And I remember actually having the conversation with you when I was struggling a little bit and we went down to Lawn to catch up with your mentor. And uh, I remember having the conversation. It was a time when I was really struggling. I was, my friend had recently passed away and all this sort of stuff was not in a great place at all. And the number one thing that we had a conversation about was how it could become an opportunity. And I recognised a little bit at that time that I was at a stage in my life when I'd been quite naive, I think, up to that point. And I recognised that in many ways my perceptions and my thinking of the world needed to come apart a little bit because the way that I'd seen the world, it was almost just too simple. It just didn't conceptualise some of the experiences that I was going through. So from that point... From almost literally it was as if something clicked from having that conversation about how something like that can be an opportunity. It almost just completely recontextualizes things and your perspective goes from the immediate present in terms of this is so uncomfortable and I don't want to necessarily be feeling this right now to hold on this is part of a longer process and although it's really uncomfortable for the moment it's not something that I'm going to be feeling forever and I'm actually going to be able to get something from it that's going to benefit me in the long run. 
Yes, and as I think about it now, like how remarkable that you could have had that experience with my mentor, Ross, a family friend of ours, when I think that I would have had something of a similar experience maybe uh, about 10 years earlier when I'd mentioned in our last podcast on perfectionism how I went through this severe depression. At one stage I was hospitalised for it. But funnily enough, almost overlapping with something you described there, what enabled me to accept going into hospital, which at that stage I needed to do, was ringing up and speaking with Ross, who was utterly accepting in that situation. It helped take some of the shame out of it. And I remember that evening that you described where you met with Ross and you talked about what had happened, that massive challenge in your life, And I was struck by your honesty and openness, as Ross was, the way you expressed it. But there was something so comforting or accepting about being with a wise person who had many life experiences himself, who who would not be phased by this situation of someone feeling as though things were coming apart and where he could see your resourcefulness and strengths, even in that situation when it might have been very difficult for you to see your own or in the situation before I went into hospital when I couldn't see any of my resources at all. And I think this shows the importance of connections and being able to draw on supports or mentors, which is often a part of the hero's journey. A key part of that is being able to draw on the supports and preferably of someone who has that degree of wisdom or other kind of experience, which we might not have had ourselves. And I think that's a real echo with this mental health review, which emphasises drawing on people who've had lived experience. Because there can be an acceptance that goes with that. It's a very different experience being able to confide in, deeply confide in someone who you have great trust in and respect for, who you feel is very supportive and understanding. That's a very different situation to feeling very panicky and showing up to an emergency department and where the response is going to be a fairly medicalised response, including triaging with other people and, and it's so much geared more to physical injury, that's not the way of understanding how to deal with a crisis. It's unfair on the staff in that situation as well in an emergency department, dealing with all sorts of other things. So we need to think fundamentally about the way we respond to the situation when someone does feel things are out of control to not maybe even amplify that feeling that the person's like, just going crazy or this is just terrible or it just shouldn't happen because there are going to be times in life where most of us at some stage are going to feel overwhelmed. And that's where, of course, it's so important not to stigmatise, as we were talking about at the start, to allow people the room to go through the journey, I think is something that's also so important too. But Dad, it might just be interesting now if we go through some of the stages of the hero's journey because obviously I'm aware from a more, I suppose, literary standpoint in terms of I see it come up in movies and this sort of thing. But I'd be really interested to get your thoughts in terms of where it comes up exactly in therapy and how it relates to the process of therapy. So it might just be interesting if we go through a couple of the steps. And I believe just as a complete aside here, this is something I just found really interesting. It actually started with 17 steps and a guy from Disney was the one who basically paired it back to 12. So maybe some uh, insight into why Disney's been so successful over the years if they were able to codify this experience. But uh, 
But obviously, one of the first stages, Dad, and we'll abridge this a little bit, so we won't go through the whole 12 stages, but just the ones that mostly relate to therapy. But the call to adventure, obviously something that's so central to the hero's journey. We see it, for example, in Harry Potter, when Hagrid comes with the letter that lets Harry know that he's a wizard, or in Spider-Man, when Peter Parker gets bitten by the spider. But how does this idea relate to therapy? Because it's not necessarily the case that we all receive this kind of positive call to adventure that launches us into this journey. How is it that the call to adventure relates to therapy in that sense? Okay, now the whole idea of a call to adventure is it's one way that a person is going to leave what's familiar. They're going to leave the village, they're going to go somewhere else. So one way of doing that would be if someone heads off to uni. But it also could be if someone takes a job in a different field. Or it could be someone takes on some kind of, um, or has the feeling of taking on some kind of major challenge, if you like. It's almost like they uh, get bitten by a bug where they want to create music or something like that. There can be like that positive call, if you like, where the person has a vision of something they want to do. But more often in therapy, it starts off with a level of stuckness. It can be like a wasteland an emotional wasteland. The person can feel that what they're doing, how they're living, it's just not moving them. They don't find it meaningful. It can come up, say, with a midlife crisis, often around, say, 40 years of age, give or take two or three years either side. People might be feeling that the way they're living is not so authentic and more aware of their mortality. That can be a real challenging time where people can feel stuck or people can feel they're stuck in not the right kind of job or maybe their relationship isn't right, or their circumstances are quite unfulfilling to them in some way, that's often what might tip the balance. And of course, the other thing might be trauma or a crisis. So it could be you know, post-traumatic stress coming up after having been assaulted in the street where someone would have felt so safe normally in their usual environment. Or it could be a car accident where the person loses their capacity to even walk for a while when they might be a, a, a sports person. So often it'll be some kind of crisis or challenge or loss, but it can also be a form of stuckness. And I think that's really important to note that idea of potentially being in a wasteland as well, because it also points to the fact that there doesn't necessarily have to be an external catalyst for everything in terms of obviously trauma and being in crisis and that sort of thing. But we can almost find ourselves in a situation where we kind of go, hold on, this is not necessarily what I set out for. This is not the hero's journey that I wanted to find myself on. And although I may have formally felt comfortable in this place with these people, it's not necessarily as good for me now. It's not necessarily fitting into where I want to be now. So I think that's a really interesting point to note, just in where it relates to therapy, because that's not something that we see, for example, in movies so much. It is often the more positive call to adventure that we see in movies. Yes, so it's, it's a situation where the status quo won't do. So sometimes the hero's called to something higher, but like you're highlighting, yes, sometimes it can be for this greater stuckness that people are feeling internally. And that's where it's more adventurous to respond to that call. If people get those inner inklings or ructions or challenge that says, look, this is maybe isn't right for me, a number of people could just try and bury that. They could think, well, just 
keep on doing the same thing because it's too difficult to change or go through the motions or feel less vitality or get caught up in drug or gambling or other addictions or just feel stuck and become gradually more depressed. The thing is to look to respond in some way and take it seriously if we've got this inner feeling that the way we're living doesn't feel so authentic or right for us. It's best to respond to that even if it's very uncertain, very difficult, confusing, challenging. And so as we move on the hero's journey now, we'll skip a couple of steps, but I will just note one of those steps is meeting with the mentor because it specifies that within the hero's journey, it's not necessarily something that we're going to be going out alone. There are guides, there are supports, there are people that we can turn to and who can come on the journey with us. So I think that's a really important point to point out that it's so central to the hero's journey that it's in fact a step in itself. And one reason why it is so important to look for mentors or supports is that usually the hero is feeling very daunted. The hero is not feeling super confident. The hero doesn't necessarily feel heroic. The hero might feel scared, daunted, vulnerable, uncertain, not fully equipped. And that's part of the reason it's important to draw on the extra support. And quite frankly, that's where in therapy a therapist will come in because that's part of the guidance, hopefully, that's offered, including helping the person put a different context on the feeling of coming apart, not just pathologising the person's difficulty, seeing it as part of life. And so then, Dad, I'm interested to get your thoughts on the next step of the hero's journey, which is crossing the threshold. So we might see this, for example, in Harry Potter, when Harry learns that Voldemort was the one who killed his parents. And it's almost like from that point, there's absolutely no turning back. There's no way that he's going to go back to his cupboard under the stairs and just lament the fact that the whole thing's gone on in the first place. He's going to take up that adventure. He's, he's knee deep in it at that point. But how does that relate to therapy? Okay, and um, so just say the other examples might be getting in a ship and sailing across the sea or it could be moving your city to start a university course or whatever. But in therapy, the key aspect is going to see a therapist in the first place and that can be a massive challenge. Actually, I can remember about 20 years ago. It's a bit different from this now, but 20 years ago, I can remember a very wise colleague saying something to the effect of, Just remember, when someone actually reaches out and goes and seeks therapy, it's a fundamentally different kind of act or stage that they're entering to do that. There's something quite different when someone actually goes out and seeks therapy. He's trying to get across to us. It's not an easy thing for people to do. Don't just take it for granted if we're used to our therapy room and all the rest of it that someone might just do that as a matter of course. It takes a big shift often for people to acknowledge to themselves, look, I do feel stuck, distressed, confused, uncertain, whatever, to such an extent that I feel I need this other kind of support or guidance. So it is like crossing a threshold that way. But when people manage that and when people can accept that, and this is the importance partly of taking the stigma out of it, and we've had a lot of success, I think, over the years, relative success of taking more stigma out of people seeking therapy to the point, I think it's something like about one in 10 people would have sought mental health services of of some sort. And the Better Access Scheme is an example of that. Millions of Australians would have accessed that. So this has changed greatly over the last 20 years. 
but it's the person thinking, hey, I need to do something different here. And last year with COVID, there was a marked increase in people who are accepting or seeking therapy services for the first time. That's part of what showed how challenging a year it was going through the pandemic, the number of people who did that for the first time. But that's the crossing the first threshold, even ringing up, if you like, to look to make an appointment, but certainly going to see someone. That's crossing a threshold. And it seems to me a bit from what you're saying there that it could potentially be a place within therapy, within everyone's process of mental health issues, that they could get a little bit stuck if they're not, for example, ready to cross that first threshold, if they're not ready to admit that things have changed to that degree, it might lead people to, for example, fight their internal feelings a little bit longer, I wonder. Yes, and look, I can remember the two different phases of my life when I was depressed and needed to seek help. It's not like I was approaching it confidently, crossing a, a threshold confidently. I was emotionally kicking and screaming. When, when I sought help. And, and I think many people are very reluctantly in a position where they feel so stuck that they might feel desperate enough to look for other kind of help. But I think that one of the things about this which is very relevant to comparing a medical model, if you like, to a hero's journey, is I think part of the reason why anxiety and depression feel so bad and other forms of psychological distress feel so bad because it forces you, it forces you to go within. It forces you to be in the situation that you're in and looking inside because they sometimes say that with a hero, when they're getting to the centre of their challenge, if you like, it's like a kind of innermost cave. Well, partly in psychological terms, that's looking inside yourself. You describe the shadow side. We've talked about that a bit. Looking at some of the darker, more complicated, more uncertain, more vulnerable, more fearful, distressed aspects of ourselves. And memories of loss, feelings of guilt, feelings of shame. These are the darker, challenging kind of experiences that we might have. Now, they feel so bad, it forces us to turn our attention inward. But in turning our attention inward, that gives us a chance to process them further. These feelings, these emotions have meaning attached to them. Loss has meaning because we value our connections with other people. Trauma has survival value in recognising when we're under threat. Anxiety tells us about danger. Depression maybe tells us something about loss or about the direction that we're going in, maybe not being so consistent with our most authentic self. If we didn't have these uncomfortable emotions, why wouldn't we just sail on doing exactly what we're doing in the first place, never leaving that initial ordinary world that we were in? We wouldn't feel it like a wasteland or any discomfort. We'd just keep on doing what we're, we're doing. So I think part of the pain and distress, anxiety, depression, anger reactions, guilt, grief, it draws our attention inward and there's meaning in that. There's something authentic behind those feelings, even if sometimes the feelings might be confused and not so well processed or, if you like, maybe over intense in some ways, but it's looking at what it means. That's the challenge in the hero's journey for someone seeking therapy. 
Well, I wonder as well if that relates a little bit to the ordeal stage of the hero's journey, which is the next stage that we're talking about. But as you were describing that there, obviously the ordeal being, for example, in Harry Potter when they're fighting the snake in the second version. And I always talk about Harry Potter because it's it's so brilliantly done with the archetypes. But, uh, but I wonder if in relation to therapy, that idea of the ordeal or the fight with the monster, I wonder if that could be related to when those feelings are more acute, it's not even necessarily at the exact start of the journey. We may be a little bit of a way down the road, but we may be in a situation where we don't feel like we know exactly what the way forward is from here now. We could be in the most intense periods of of depression or whatever it is. I wonder if that's the period that almost relates to that idea of the ordeal or fighting the monster that we see in, in movies and stories. Yes, very much so, and it might be a time when people are feeling most suicidal because it also could be that people are hoping that if they see a therapist it might be just uh, after two or three times suddenly that they'll be feeling like things are right or maybe people will be able to get some kind of medication and then they'll get a real lift from that within a few weeks. Some people do get a real lift from depression within about, say, four weeks of taking medication. But often it won't be as straightforward as that. Often it's like facing a real grim fear or feeling of helplessness or feeling of just having lost oneself. It's that coming apart. And the ordeal is for someone to look to manage with that feeling of coming apart, which I used to think of it with depression, and I'd use a term, it's almost like facing a kind of death. And I'd think of it in my own mind. Actually, I expressed to a couple of clients, it's, it's like going through a little death. Now, what one literary client said to me is, oh, he chuckled a bit. I thought, what are you chuckling about when I talk about a little death? He said, oh, in Europe, that's the expression used for an orgasm. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe that doesn't translate quite the intention I had at that time. But uh, I suppose that there, there must be some – no, no, I won't try and speculate how that might tie in with what we're talking about here. But certainly there's that feeling of absolutely facing – helplessness it's it's like being in a, a pit i remember someone describing it as like being in such a deep pit and not able to get out of that not seeing any way out of it and this is one of the challenges with severe depression for example people might be absolutely convinced as i was that there would be no way out even though i had seen hundreds if not thousands of people recover from depression in say the 10 years beforehand When I was severely depressed, I felt convinced I'd never get through it. So that's part of how we can have a negative filter and our mind can play tricks on us. But looking to manage through in some way, looking to bear with it when we're facing that ordeal of not being able to see a way through, that's one of the most challenging things about the hero's journey in psychotherapy. And even at a lesser level, even if people aren't so severely or suicidally depressed, even if people have quite some hopes about how they'll deal with it, Usually people are going through quite some level of uncertainty and it can be challenging looking at aspects of yourself or your life or your personality that aren't working so well for you. It can be easy to get sucked into being too self-critical at a time like that rather than looking to stand back a touch dispassionately and looking to make sense of what you notice about how things have been before and what you might shift or nudge in a different direction kind of thing. But um. It is an ordeal. And it is something that I think can be helpful to 
think about to contextualize the way that we think about this sort of stuff as well because if we're for example thinking of it in terms of that idea of it it's a fight it's a stage on the hero's journey well it allows us to think well what do I have to assist me in that fight what do I have that I can for example insert into my routine that could be like a bit of a tool to help me in this fight against this monster or what is it that potentially is not helping me at the moment against this monster that I'm fighting? What can I remove from what I'm doing to help me as well? So I think that's certainly something to help me as well that just allows us to recognise that we actually do have things at our disposal in that ordeal. Yes, and in a therapy situation, it's actually quite a twist compared to the notion of a hero's journey in a movie or whatever where maybe the talents that the person draws on a strength or ingenuity or a magic sword or the capacity to make magic spells or something else that is a remarkable kind of resource. But one of the core things when people are going through a psychological challenge or mental health problem, one of the core things that people often need to add to their range of ways of dealing with things is an extra level of accepting vulnerability. And it's often the opposite of what people are wanting to do. Often people are wanting to feel more control. But in fact, the way that people can bear with this challenge of feeling like things are coming apart, going through the dark night of the soul, but enabling, like the aspects of ourselves, if you like, to be in suspension, in a sense, there is a bit of a coming apart, but to look to how we can get things together in a new way, that involves an acceptance of vulnerability. And once people accept the fact they're anxious, they're depressed, they're grieving, they're dealing with trauma reactions, and that there are understandable aspects behind these feelings and reactions, it makes sense at a certain level why they're experiencing that. When people have an acceptance for that relative confusion, uncertainty, helplessness, if you like, then people become more responsive to adding extra aspects, adding extra strings to their bow. It might be learning to temper their perfectionism that we talked about in the last episode. It might be some anxiety reduction strategies that we've talked about before as well. It might be strategies for dealing with worry. It might be increasing their physical exercise and activity level to start to help with depression. But also people stepping back and looking at the kind of maybe attitudes or filters or beliefs that might be limiting expectations about success versus failure, about approval versus disapproval, uh, capacity to deal with discomfort rather than expecting to feel in control. People can start to add extra strings to their bow and once people get to the stage of accepting where they're at, the darkness, the difficulty of it and can start to take on a little bit more about trying out one strategy or another and drawing on the resources of other people, then things usually start to shift. Whether it be gradual, whether it be sudden, usually things start to shift and there's a little more hope that comes into the situation. Well, that draws us nicely to the next stage of the hero's journey, which you alluded to a little bit there, but obviously we see it in movies uh, known as the resurrection stage. So, for example, in The Lion King, when Simba returns to Pride Rock and he kills Scar and avenges his father, that's the idea of the resurrection And you alluded to it a little bit there with that idea of being vulnerable and allowing it to 
have an extra element to your personality to give you something else by being vulnerable. But how does that idea of the resurrection or that idea of the almost rebirth, how does that relate to therapy? Well, I think that when people have been so distressed that they can't see a way forward and they find it hard to imagine any kind of future that could be acceptable to them, which can happen with severe depression, or severe repeated panic attacks can be another aspect where people can feel really helpless. Just the fact that people reach a certain point where they feel that they've come through the worst of the ordeal, they can get a sense that things are improving. Just the fact that people recognise that they've survived through that and that some things are improving, now that gives extra kind of hope. And with that kind of extra hope, Often people can further tweak things, draw on things. People might have extra insights. They might be less self-judgmental. They might have developed more self-acceptance, more compassion, have more understanding about how their reactions have related also to cross-generational issues that they've dealt with or very significant past trauma or circumstances that anybody might have found extraordinarily stressful. But the thing is, the person finds themselves at first sometimes unexpectedly but but gradually feeling better feeling more confident not like there might be ups and downs that come with this but broadly as people start to find ways of being more confident of dealing with their distress so when they're anxious they don't have to get so anxious about it being more hopeful and confident with their depression because they're no longer so low, not getting so stuck with their anger of having harsh expectations of themselves and others. And so they've learned to use the word should a lot less, learn to be more accepting of themselves and others. With grief, as people recognise that they're going through a different process and different stages where they start to feel more whole again within themselves, even without their loved one present, They recognise they've still got some connection with their loved one, but there's something transformed about that connection. Then these kind of things can lead to more hope. And often people do notice that they've gained greater insights. They've gained greater understanding. They might have also developed a number of further strategies that are helpful with dealing with distress. They might also have had more conversations with other people about their reactions and that's helped other people understand them better and vice versa. Their relationships might have even developed further, even from the support they've been able to receive from others. But something tends to end up transformed, even if it's the greater understanding the person has had about maybe how their perfectionism got in the way of their satisfaction in life, how their priorities got out of whack, how it's important for them to connect better with other people in certain kind of ways, how they can help bring down their stress levels in some ways and how important it is to prioritise that. These things lead to shifts and change and that means that the person can be back in their same place, like the hero returning to their homeland with the boon that they bring back, but this can be the person having a greater understanding and acceptance of themselves and realising that... It's not only that life goes on, but life goes on having gained something in the process, particularly in terms of self-understanding. And I wonder as well if that highlights the importance of having support, of having mentors and having guides, because it seems to me a little bit that the resurrection stage, as it relates to therapy, might be a little bit less conscious 
as we go through it. It might almost be something that we almost realize that we've gone through. It was just as you were talking there, it just reminded me that uh, I remember during COVID having a bit of a tough time and obviously not being able to go outside and there's a curfew and working all day and it's raining at night so you can't get out for a walk sort of thing. But I remember realizing the moment when I recognized the value of even just going for a walk sort of thing. And it was almost that period of going, but hold on, I've actually got a little bit more control over this or there are certain things that I can do here. It's not necessarily just that I'm at the, you know, the will of the gods for lack of a better term. And so I wonder if having someone there with us on the journey, whether it be a therapist or whether it be just someone that we confide in, can almost be there with enough distance to sort of say, but hold on, you actually approached this this way a month ago and you're actually feeling a little bit more negative, it seems, towards this group of people or whatever it is. But having someone there who can almost be a bit of a sounding board for us, for lack of a better term, and almost help us pick up for ourselves too when we've moved on through that really dark night of the soul stage. Because it seems to me from what you're saying there, it's the recognition of not just being at the most acute stage that we're at that allows us to go, hold on, we're actually on a journey here. And if we've moved from you know one stage to another, it's likely that we're going to continue moving on stages. Yes, and the importance of other people as you're highlighting in the earlier stages, I think it's so important. The support of other people, it helps hold hope for the person. When the person is feeling hopeless, others can hold the hope. And as a therapist, you're sometimes holding hope for other people who might not feel like they have any at the time. But later on, as you're describing, it's a big thing, the feedback that people can get from their family, loved ones, friends, about the changes that they've gone through, because sometimes people might underestimate that, as you're suggesting. And so I can think of a number of situations which it's really given me the idea that the first thing the person notices is they get a sense of, shifting in themselves and the person's shifting their relationship with themselves. bit more hopeful, different way of doing things. The person's gradually coming through. They're basically rising above the ashes to some extent, say if it's coming through from depression, that kind of resurrection. But then it's the people just around them and closest to them who notice that, who reflect it back. So helpful when family members can say, oh, look, I noticed the way that you did that. You know, Good on you. I really enjoyed your your company, and, um, and, 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 and I saw the way you laughed. You know, for the first time I've heard you in a while, it's delightful to hear you laugh. You know, that, that kind of thing. Other people also reflect back. That inner circle can reflect back hope and encouragement of change, but also acknowledging the changes they see down the track. And then it spreads further and further out from that inner circle. So then it might be other friends with whom you're in less frequent contact or other you know, work colleagues. And then it's just generally a feeling of the people that you run into, even strangers that, that you meet, things like that. The person notices often the change, more of their inner circle noticing that, and it gradually spreads out from there like ripple effects. And that's where people around a person who's come through depression or managing situations in a different way other people will tend to respond to the person as they take them at the time. And so people will recognise that if they've had some quite significant mental health challenge, and the vast majority of people do come through to a pretty good extent dealing with their challenges with anxiety, depression, or adapting to the difficulties that they have. 
And then often people will be getting that affirmation from others. And I just think it's important when we're thinking about this now and talking about the importance of other people, when someone's going through a hero's journey with mental health problems, again, it comes back to that mental health report. The importance of linking in family members when someone's going through a struggle. The importance maybe of people having access to others with lived experience who can also hold the hope for them and maybe give some guidance of things that were helpful to them. But certainly the encouragement, the reflecting back, the signs of change that we notice, it's very important to involve other people because we're social animals and how others relate to us and respond to us is such an important key. And I think that leads us nicely, Dad, as well, to the last stage of the hero's journey, which is the return with the elixir. Or to bring back the boon is another way that we've heard it. And I think the thing that's important to highlight there is that there is that relation to the original world, to the first world that the hero found themselves in. It's not as if the journey leads them to a completely different place and none of their friends will recognise them and, and they're completely in an entirely novel situation. It's actually that they... As we've spoken about, they bring something from their journey back to the place where they were in the first stage. Yes, so people might be with their same family and partner and job uh, and yet see things in such a different way. Having gained further understanding about how they've dealt with sense of failure, disapproval, perfectionism, whatever it might be. So the person's no longer in a wasteland even though it might have felt that way earlier on. But there will be times when someone makes a decision that they will change their job or work on their relationship in a different way. In some situations, people might leave a relationship. But the notion is looking at growth, looking at positive ways of adapting, looking to be true to yourself. And I suppose that relates to some extent to people's sense of destiny or what kind of life is right for me. And... I think if people can be honest with themselves with that, that, that's often helped by going through an internal emotional challenge where people have had to weigh up aspects of their lives, maybe tweak and adjust how they go about things. But when we talk about a crisis, like a midlife crisis, the word for crisis, the Greek word for crisis, is the same as the word for sift. And often when people have been through like say a depression or a significant you know, challenge for their mental health, people are sifting aspects of their life and seeing what's important. And what many people describe is a little bit what you described after being in lockdown for a period of time when you can go for a walk, whatever. Things that we used to take for granted, we might really appreciate. And that can include appreciating our relationships more, our capacity to do things, our skills more, our leisure activities, our friends Often that's part of what happens. People appreciate things further rather than taking them for granted. So then, Dad, how long roughly is the hero's journey? I imagine it's something that's going to be slightly different for everyone, but how long is it? And is it something that you often see as being a gradual process or is it something that often happens in almost jump shifts with insights that occur along the way? 
Well, it can be in so many different forms, and that's the key thing. Now, how long was the journey with Odysseus, for example, in the Iliad? It was the 10 Od- years. It was 10 yeah. years, okay. Well, that, that's quite a long journey, that one, isn't it? And hopefully many people's problems with mental health will not extend to that period of time. But some people, they will, and we should acknowledge that. Some people will be dealing with chronic schizophrenia or repeated bouts of bipolar disorder, But even in those situations, the vast majority of people develop different ways over time. For example, in my extended family, there have been family members who have had to deal with challenges including schizophrenia, bipolar disorder or depression. But what you notice is over a period of time, people have had much greater understanding how to deal with that and can actually be very content in dealing with, for example, schizophrenia or have been able to manage well learning the balance of medication with bipolar disorder that helps be most free. And so there are times when, for example, medication and certain biological treatments can help get things back more into balance in terms of someone's biological functioning, but then people will be dealing with everyday life challenges where the hero's journey is part of that, including acceptance and dealing with having a diagnosis. For example, that's another challenge that comes up along the way. But many people who seek psychological therapy, say at a a general psychology practice like ours, it'll be fairly time-bound. Many people will attend about eight to ten therapy sessions. That would be around about an average number of sessions. And many people, about half of the people we see, are going to be showing some at least early signs but of significant benefit say for anxiety and depression, within about five sessions. If people are not showing some even slight improvement after about five sessions, that often means we have a conversation about is there something else we maybe need to draw on, a a slightly different approach to therapy, is there something that we're missing here, does a person maybe need help with some other resource to help make further progress, and so you're reviewing and reflecting on that. But there will be people that I will have seen for a number of years as well dealing with complex trauma reactions and often where people have had say the most challenging childhood experiences involving repeated abuse or neglect that will often be a more complicated pattern and there'll be some people I will have seen for a couple of years the first time to process some of their experience that way and they might have come back then about five years later to work through some more of their reactions in some particular way. But throughout what you typically see, even then, with people with the greatest challenges, is you see a kind of maturing or development that also goes with life experience, maturity, understanding that comes up as well. So the person is more than just, like, say, a sufferer of a mental health problem. They're also a partner, an aunt, a worker, a boss... Uh, a student, a painter. There are all sorts of different roles that people have apart from someone dealing with a mental health problem. But yes, many people that we see make significant progress with the most common forms of mental health problems, which is typically forms of anxiety, or mild to moderate depression. Many people are making very significant gains you know, within about, say, eight to ten sessions to the point where many people be feeling that they could maybe have some follow-up sessions. A number of people would look to that maybe even the six to 12 months ahead to review their progress over a period of time. But many people find that they gain a lot 
from that kind of therapy process. But yeah, it, it's partly how long is mental health treatment? It's how long is a piece of string? It depends on how severe it is. It depends on how long term it's been and some of the complications that come with it. But one thing is we know people greatly benefit from having that tendency or preparedness to seek help if they're feeling overwhelmed. It's that help-seeking behaviour is so important, especially if people feel really stuck with their distress and they can't see a different way of moving forward. There'll be other people who will be able to be a very strong support to them and help them find a way forward. Well, there's that brilliant quote from Joseph Campbell, I believe, who was the first one to come up with the original 17-stage idea of the hero's journey. And he has that brilliant quote that goes something along the lines of, where you stumble, there lies your treasure. So I think that speaks to that exact notion in terms of although things are going to be uncomfortable and some of the toughest periods in our life are not necessarily going to be something that we're going to enjoy going through, but at the same time they do offer us something on the other side. As we are able to come through them, put things together in a new way and it can just give us a a richness of life that we didn't have in the first place. Yes, and so that was certainly a theme of our recent podcast on perfectionism where both of us described how we related to that and that was my main demon, that was my main bugbear, having to deal with that. And again, I think some real treasure did come from stumbling at that area and having to learn early on different ways of getting around that. Otherwise, I think um, I would have been really caught up in a pattern of unrelenting standards that would have really detracted from enjoyment of life in many ways. I'll just mention one other quote from Joseph Campbell too. A good life is one hero's journey after another. So once someone's come through a hero's journey, feel like they've got back to the usual self, feel like maybe they're affirmed in some way, further understanding, hey, it doesn't mean that you're not going to go through a dark night of the soul again. And there's no shame in that. It's not your fault. There are growing pains throughout life. There are challenges throughout life. And I think that's part of what's important for our approach to mental health and mental illness. Not just having an expectation that we should just sail through life with no mental health problems. After all, we don't expect ourselves to sail through life with no physical health problems. And any time we have a physical illness or significant physical health problems, then it's fair enough that we have some mental health problems as well. So I think it's seeing it as part of life to deal with the challenges that come up rather than over-pathologising it. Well, I think the other thing there as well is that there seems to be something about people and about humans and about the way that we go through life that we almost need that hero's journey a little bit like we need that struggle even if it's obviously not necessarily we don't necessarily have to go through the there's such tough mental health issues that some people deal with all the time but even if it's more the positive side of things if we go through something like the hero's journey and relate it to mental health if we go through the experience that we've spoken about today well it also gives us the experience of going through the whole process of the hero's journey and we can actually use that to undertake voluntary responsibilities as well because if we have the experience of knowing that we can come through the dark night of the soul knowing that it offers us something on the other side we're going to be more likely to launch into something in the first place, even if it's not necessarily just the more negative side of dealing with mental health challenges. Yes, we're not going to be so daunted by a challenge. And then if we have that approach where we're prepared to take on challenges, we're going to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. We're going to look at being authentic 
see what self-understanding we can gain about what directions are worthwhile for us, then I think that's going to help us follow what the Greeks called our daemon or the Romans called our genius, meaning destiny, like a path that's best for us. And I think that when we face mental health challenges like anxiety and depression, it's partly looking to guide us or nudge us that, hey, how things are going at the moment is not quite the right way for us. We need to make some course correction if you like. And that might involve facing our demons. And I think that process, I think of that process as partly turning our demons into our daemon, our destiny, our genius, our direction. And, well, that's the theme that Carl Jung was on about when he's talking about life growth in terms of the process of individuation, becoming more fully ourselves, becoming an individual, our authentic self. And, well, hey, that's got something to do with your new podcast, (laughs) doesn't it? Yeah, well, as I said at the start, this is something that I am absolutely fascinated in. And it's interesting, obviously, we've had many chats off air over the journey, Dad, but it seems to me that this idea of going through a hero's journey and coming through the dark night of the soul and and seeing what we can gain from that, well, it seems to me in many ways that's how we develop our identity. That's how we develop who we become down the line. So, I suppose the idea of my podcast is a little bit more looking at the positive side of a hero's journey, a little bit less about mental health challenges, and a little bit more about how can we voluntarily undertake the hero's journey in a way that's going to help us become a more full version of ourselves, and then how can we use that more full version of ourselves in the service of other people too. So yeah, absolutely, it's uh, something that I'm very much enjoying playing with and exploring the ideas that are related to this sort of topic. So yeah, thanks for the uh, plug, Dad, I appreciate that. (laughs) And just one final thing, I suppose, not just yourself, but other people that you're helping create podcasts hey, well, if Lunig's going to spend time in those stages, there's going to be times where you're spending time amongst the mess and the loss, maybe before the epiphany and the joy. But, hey, it helps to have that framework of understanding, doesn't it? Absolutely, Dad. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me about all this today. I honestly could go on for hours about this, I reckon. So we better call it a day there, otherwise we might run out of tape sometime soon. But thanks so much for chatting with me today. And of course, I'll put up some resources for today's podcast up on the episode page at chrismackey.com.au slash podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts if you haven't already. And Dad, thanks so much again. I look forward to the next one. Thanks, Rowan. It's a really enjoyable theme.